When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's Wednesday, December 18th, 2019, and you're listening to the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, and I'm joined, as always, by our Tribe beat writer, Paul Hoynes. Uh, shortly, we'll be joined by MLB.com uh, Texas Rangers beat writer, T.R. Sullivan, and he's going to talk about the Corey Kluber trade and Emmanuel Classe, Delano DeShields Jr., the, uh, the newest Indians, as well as what the Rangers can expect to get out of Kluber. Uh, but Paul, uh, good to talk to you. Uh, uh, busy week, big week for the uh, for the Indians. Started off on Sunday. Uh, I thought I was going to get to relax before the Browns game at four o'clock, and and here we are taking uh, taking phone calls on a on a on a Kluber trade. Yeah, that was. Uh, you know, I didn't think. Uh, you know, it, it was. I thought things were happening last week, Joe, at the uh, at the winter meetings in San Diego. It sounded like uh, the Kluber uh, stuff had, had heated up especially with the angels. And, uh, then that kind of cooled off and, uh, I was out walking the dogs and, uh, and they make the trade on Sunday, you know, that's when the news broke. So, you know, you, you never know this time of year, you can't leave your cell phone at home. It's trade season, Paul. You can't go walking your dog just willy nilly all over the place. You just, you gotta be by the phone. What's going on? All right. Well, uh, let's let's get into it with uh, with T.R. Sullivan here and we'll uh, we'll take the call from T.R. and then come back and finish out the podcast uh, after that. All right. And we're joined now by T.R. Sullivan, the Texas Rangers beat writer for MLB.com. T.R., it's great to have you with us. Uh, uh, How's the uh, how's how's the weather down there, first of all, down in Texas and and, and what's uh, What's it looking like when you you look out at the the new ballpark you got there? Well, right now it's like forty degrees outside, so I feel like I'm in Cleveland in in September. But um, the ballpark's doing great. You know, we had a little fire there the other day that kind of shook everybody up. But otherwise, uh, it's it's on schedule to be open on um, May or excuse me, March twenty third. I think the Cardinals will be in here for an exhibition and. Everybody's excited. They announced today they've got another $800 million in development going around the place. So um, it's all good. I mean, Paul and I will be sitting up in the clouds in the press box. But uh, other than that, it looks like a pretty good ball- ballpark. Is, is that something you uh, you judge the uh, the new parks by, uh, what what the accommodations are for the uh, the media and the visiting media as well? Well, I mean, you know, that's our working conditions and that's, you know, that's something we have to put up with. And, you know, some places are better than the other, you know, people talk about what a great place Fenway park is, you know, Paul and I've been going there for a long time and the press box is terrible, but you know, it's great when you're out on the field and watching batting practice or talking to people in the dugout. I don't know if there's a better place in uh, baseball to be on the field in Fenway park. And I don't know if there's a worse place to be in a, in a press box in Fenway park. So, you know, you know, when people talk about what a terrible place Tampa Bay is and Tropicana field and, 
you know, Paul and I will tell you it's a it's a great place to work. I mean, nice press box, good good clubhouse, easy access. Um, so you know, it's it just depends on your perspective and point of view. Well, Paul, what do you think of uh, you know the the ballpark that they just retired in Texas and the uh, the way it can get pretty hot down there during the uh, the summer months when you go down there? Yeah, I was going to ask T.I., what are they going to do with that ballpark? Oh, they're they're going to try to develop it. I mean, I think they're going to play XFL. I think Bob Stoops and the Dallas Renegades are getting ready to kick off here in April. And um, you know, they've kind of if you if you go there, you'll you'll see that they've moved uh, a lot of the stands around, t- taking out a lot of seats, kind of configured it for football. I think they're going to have the XFL there. <clears throat> Lord knows how long that's going to last, but um, you know, hopefully they'll be able to play high school football there because you know, City of Arlington has really fall, fallen behind all these other. Um, Dallas Fort Worth suburbs who have these you know great palaces to play high school football and uh, I know you guys in Ohio know the same thing but um, you know they'll do that and they're they're working on a lot of different things. Okay, yeah, I like it. it took me a while to get used to the ballpark, but I I like it. Now I liked it. You know, the last seven, eight, ten years, I've, I've it's been nice. It's a nice ballpark. Uh, well, so, you know, my 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 son is you know thirty years old, but when he was growing up, and I you know, I'd take him and. My wife would go to the ballpark. I loved watching games, you know, in inside the ballpark when we weren't in the press box. I, I just thought it was a great place to watch a game. You know, I took my dad there, obviously, and um, just watching a game inside the ballpark was fantastic. And don't let don't let Paul fool you. Two years ago, he sent me there in uh, in, in July, and it was uh, about 137 degrees in the press box at night. So uh, I, I only have uh, sweaty memories of the ballpark in uh, in Texas at Arlington. Uh, but one of the things you're going to be able to, to put in the, the new ballpark as the, as the Rangers, uh, uh, approach the season is, uh, what's shaping up to be a, a pretty nice veteran pitching staff, uh, with the addition of Corey Kluber. What, how does, how does this trade for Corey Kluber change the, the rotation for Texas and, and change expectations for Texas? Well, you know, everybody's obviously excited about Corey Kluber. Number one, he's from he's from Capel, which is a, a Dallas-Fort Worth suburb. And, you know, everybody knows he's won two Cy Youngs and, you know, pitched in an all-star game and all that good stuff. But, you know, I mean, the guy was hurt last year. You know, you guys know that up in Cleveland better than anybody. I mean, he only made seven starts. You know, it was a fractured forearm off, off the line, drive off the mound. And, you know, then he had the oblique. So it wasn't like he had, he's coming back from Tommy John. But still, you know, even if – you look before that um, injury, he wasn't pitching that great. Two and three, 5.80 ERA in his first seven starts. And, you know, there's a lot of speculation that he, you know, he'd been worked pretty hard um, over the previous, you know, five seasons. I think he uh, threw more pitches than anybody else in the American League. And I know he threw like uh, maybe 100 innings more than anybody else over more than Porcello or something like that. So he'd been worked pretty hard. So, one of the theories, and I don't know if they're grasping for straws or what, but one of the theories is that they're hoping that this whole, you know, taking off last year and, you know, only making seven starts and rehab and all that will um, help put some more um, gas in the tank and and he'll be back to normal. But I mean, this guy was hurt last year and he wasn't pitching well before he got hurt. So this is not like a slam dunk thing. I mean, Chris Antonetti isn't stupid. I mean, I know the the Indians had to um, cut salary and they got rid of eighteen million dollars and they can put that to good use. But I mean, you don't just give away a, a number one starter for you know you know a center fielder and, and, a, and a reliever um, without good reason. Uh, we're I talking. Think you with... got some concern there, definitely, uh, Tr. You kind of hit the nail on the head. Um, 
But, uh, you know, because the Indians were saying the same thing. Francona was saying that uh, his, um, you know, having a year off, you know, Kluber was able to do some things in his delivery that he hadn't been able to do in, in the, in in the last five years. So, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, Corey is healthy and, uh, and he gives you guys, uh, you know, gives the, uh, the Rangers, you know, a a full and productive season. Yeah. This is, this is a club that's kind of been looking for a number one starter for a long time. And, you know, they've had flashes of it. You know, you Darvish, you know, had a great year and Cliff Lee had, you know, a couple months there at the end of 10 and, um, you know, Cole Hamels was here for a year or so, but they've never really had that. You know, this is the only American League team that's never had um, a Cy Young Award winner. And they haven't had a 20-game winner since, um, I think, 1998 when Rick Kelling won it. So, you know, they've been looking for a number one starter for a long time. And, and one of the problems is, Paul, Joe, is um, – when they get a guy like Kluber and they think, oh, we got a number one starter, we got our guy finally, it puts a lot of pressure on him, puts a lot of high expectations on him, you know, because, you know, it's kind of, and Paul knows, if you go back to the the 90s with Cleveland when they were really good and they had that great lineup and everybody was wondering, you know, who was going to be their number one starter. And, you know, they got Jack McDowell and Dennis Martinez and Oral Hershiser and everybody thought he was going to be like the, the number one ace and, you know, never was quite that guy. I mean, when they know a guy like that, it puts a lot of pressure on the guy. And uh, I, I think Kluber might end up feeling a little bit about that. I know this guy's supposed to be, you know, pretty emotionalist. And I know they call, call him the robot, but um, he's going to have some high expectations. With the, with the move to the new park and the, the conditions, you know, right now being unknown, it, you know, teams would go into to Texas and you play on that hard surface and the, uh, It'd almost be like playing uh, sort of like in in um, Colorado there at, at Coors Field uh, with with the way the ball travels a little bit differently than in some other parks. Uh, it, does you think that'll have any impact or effect on, on the pitching staff in Texas, uh, you know, playing in a, in, a, in a stadium with a roof now and, and more of a climate controlled situation? Yeah, it's got to it's got to help the pitching. I mean, number one, you're right. The, um, you know, people talk about the uh, the heat in Texas and. You know, it would bake the uh, infield and the grass, and, and and the ball would go flying through there. I mean, it was like playing on concrete there. And the other thing was the wind out there. You know, as Paul would tell you, that wind out there was murder. And it would come in from the south, but it would blow, it would kind of blow in a circular motion and head out to right field and just become like a jet stream to right field. You know, Alex Rodriguez, better than anybody, learned how to hit opposite field in, in Arlington. So when you get the roof, when you get the roof, when you get the artificial uh turf that they're going to put in there not only are you get to cut down the, the heat but you're going to cut down the wind i think it's going to, it can only help the pitching so the surface there is going to be artificial that's interesting yeah it's you know it's you know that everybody's favorite term state of the art but it's not <laughs> it's supposed to be you know much more close to regular grass than anything else i've ever developed you know as you guys know you're across the lake there toronto that surface has always been really hard and the balls have always bounced over the outfielders and balls in the gap have always just, you know, rocketed to the wall. Um, this is supposed to be, I think Arizona put it in last year down there. I don't know how it worked at um, Chase Field, but um, it's supposed to be closer to grass, like I said, than anything else. 
Well, great. Uh, let's uh, let's take a look at the uh, the return that the Indians got now for uh, for Corey Kluber. What can you tell us about uh, this this 20, 21, 22 year old right hander uh, Emmanuel Classe who who apparently throws in the in the triple digits with uh, with a good hard slider as well. Well, there's nothing apparent about it. I mean, he's 101 miles an hour and, and just a little bit below that with with a cut fastball. But, I mean, this guy's got a live arm. He does have a, you know, wipeout slider. Um, this is a guy that could be a closer. I really like this kid. I really thought he might end up being the closer. The guy, he kind of reminds me of is Neftali Felice. If you remember when the Rangers went to the World Series in 2010, 2011, Felice was their closer and did a great job for him. I think this guy, I don't know how Cleveland bullpen sets up, but I know as Paul will tell you that bullpen last year did not throw very hard. I think their average fastball for the whole bullpen was like 90 miles an hour. And this guy's up there at 98.6 or something like that. So um, he's really going to bring a lot of heat to this bullpen. I think this guy's got a chance to be really good. uh, A guy who um, could end up being the Indians closer. What, What can you tell us about the shields? I love Delano DeShields. He was a guy who was a first-round pick by the Astros. Um, you know, he, he played a little second base, and then they moved him to the outfield. Um, the Astros left him unprotected in the Rule 5 draft. The Rangers picked him up. He's been here, you know, five years. Um, <laughs> this is a guy who can run. He can play defense. He's never taken off of the with at the play. A couple of factors. One year he was off to a good start, broke his hammock bone like, second or third game of the season and uh, after a great spring training and missed three or four weeks, that really was a setback. But, you know, the thing about Delano that I think is interesting, you know, this guy's a really fast kid. And, you know, some managers have told him, you know, hit the ball on the ground, use your speed, blah, 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 do all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, Chris Woodward wanted him to, you know, drive the ball, you know, get the ball in the air. Don't worry about being a slap hitter. We want you to really drive the ball and, I know there's always been some high expectations on him, and you know I don't know if he ever got a fair chance. You know if he got in a slump, people would kind of sour on him. You know I really believe that if you just give Delano DeShields a chance to play every day and just leave him alone and let him use his talents, I think this guy could flourish. I wouldn't be surprised if this guy ended up being, I'm not going to say Kenny Lofton, that you know that's ridiculous, but I think this guy could still be an impact leadoff hitter. This guy can run, he can hit a little bit, he can play defense. I think it'd be great out there in um, that big center field up there in progressive field. I think this guy could be um, a really good player. Uh, I, I want to go back to class a uh, just for a, a minute. Uh, you know, he, he was a, a, a signee. He signed out of the Dominican and, and was developed uh, as an international signee. Uh, but he went from, you know, having just pretty much like an average fastball over the last couple of years to, to developing that, that speed, uh, you know, the, the 101 miles an hour, uh, where does that come from? How does he, how does a, a guy go from just in a, in the space of like uh, two, three, four years, uh, you know, adding that many miles per hour on his fastball? Well, I think a lot of it's physical maturity. I mean, you know, this is a really tall kid and, you know, I told you he's kind of filled out a little bit, you know, these kids come from Latin America and, and um, they're not as developed physically as, um, as, as, you know, kids from the United States, but, you know, this kid, you know, really came on in the last year or so and really, really developed into a really, really good pitcher. 
uh, when he first, I believe it was August when he first came up uh, with the with the club. What, anything from his his debut or, or just being around him for the first time, uh, you know, that that stands out or, or the you know any funny stories or anything like that about him. No, I mean, you know, very quiet kid, very polite. Um, we were just amazed about how hard, hard he threw. I mean, he lit it up from day one. I mean, that was, he was the talk of the town there for a couple of weeks. It's just how much this guy could bring it. You know, this guy came from nowhere. Like, like he said, I mean, he started out the year in, um, in uh, class A and he just rocketed through the system. You know, the Rangers have a bunch of hard throwers and he was the one that they really liked because he had a better, better command than a lot of their other guys. And that's what really stood out about them was his control of that, of that hundred mile an hour fastball. He wasn't one of these wild guys or throwing it over the batter's head or like a wild thing from a major league. I mean, this guy's got some really good command. Right. Paul, anything else or no, that's great. TR. Hey, I really appreciate it, man. That's uh, oh, you know, when you're getting a a good guy in Kluber, he's not going to, I don't think he's going to fill your notebook up though. (laughs) <laughs> okay, well that's that's all right. At least he won't throw it in the trash like some other some other guys have. I mean, you've had a few beauties up there in Cleveland, so uh, <laughs> I think you've been through the ringer more than any of us. But that that's good. Well, uh, I, I believe you guys come up here uh, uh, first. The uh, the Rangers are in in town here in, in Cleveland early in the year uh, before uh, you know the the Indians get, uh, go down there to check out the new park and. Uh, and have sort of a homecoming for for DeShields and uh, and, and Class A, but uh, what what do you expect? Uh, you know the the Indians will probably welcome Kluber back early in the season uh, with a with a lot of fanfare. Yeah, yeah, you know I, I think you guys really enjoyed Delano DeShields. I mean, he's a great kid. This guy is, you know, his father played in the big leagues. He knows baseball. He knows the game. He knows the media. I think. A year ago, two years ago or something, we, we voted him as our um, good guy of the year by the uh, Texas media. And like I said, and I think Terry Francona will do a good job with him, but if they just let this kid play and do his thing, you know, you guys could end up with a, a really, really good player. I would not be surprised if this guy ended up being guy who scores 100 runs, something like that for the Indians. Were, were you surprised that, that, that he was part of the return for Kluber, that, that, that you feel like it was enough uh, that – that the, the Indians were getting in, in terms of that uh, in, in, in when you heard about the trade? Yeah, I mean, you know, the Indians know what they're doing. I mean, you know, they've been to the playoffs like three out of the last four years, something like that. They know what they're doing. They know what this kid can do. I think, they, I think they, they're going to like what they get from him. All right. Uh, T.R. Sullivan, uh, Major League Baseball, uh, MLB.com, uh, beat writer for the Texas Rangers. Uh, TR, thanks for taking the time out uh, uh, early on Wednesday to, to talk to us about this uh, this big trade that went down here uh, over the weekend. Uh, we really appreciate it and look forward to the season. Okay, guys. Thanks, TR. Are you thanks. are you guys in um, are you guys in separate places? Yeah, we're uh, he Paul's at his place and I'm at my house and and we're actually we're we can actually see each other on a video chat. We've got you uh, on the phone line, so. Okay, very good. Paul, we'll see you in um we'll see you in Arizona. Okay, TR. Thanks, man. Thanks for doing this. Okay, that was TR Sullivan, Major League Baseball.com writer for the Texas Rangers. Paul, uh, 
you and you and TR have been friends for for a long time covering uh, covering the Indians and the Rangers, huh? Oh yeah, definitely. We go way back. We go way back to the uh, the stadium before the stadium, the first stadium where where Texas played, where it was kind of a ramshackle Triple uh, A ballpark, and uh, and then they moved to uh, you know the ballpark in Arlington, Globe. Globe Field, and now they're moving. I mean, that that park to me opened yesterday, and now they're moving to a, a brand new one. That park so, opened the same year as as Progressive Field, yeah. Yeah, and uh, now they're moving to a new one. And the key to this ballpark is a roof, Joe, and I think that's going to change. It's going to really change uh, the uh, dynamics of the uh, the Rangers and and uh, you know their hopes for the future because. You know, the, as hot as it is in Texas, and you know that as well as I do, that I think it just took a toll on that team midseason. You know that uh, it just wore those, it just wore those teams out, and it was hard to play there. I mean, they did go to back-to-back World Series in the '90s, or the, not, not, not in the '90s, in the 2000s, 2010s, right? yeah, yeah. And uh, but uh, it, it, it's tough to play there, especially you know when you get it get into uh, you know june july and august well and they look across and, and see houston in their in their ballpark with climate control and retractable roof and all that good stuff and you know winning world series and going to world series and banging on uh garbage cans and and doing all sorts of stuff you know why can't they do it so uh it should be interesting to see uh they're they're putting together a good veteran pitching staff now with you know Corey kluber lance lynn mike minor uh, it, it, it could be interesting for them, but, uh, some of the stuff that, that he said about Emmanuel class a, he, he sees him as a closer. Is that, you know, is that what the Indians were trading for? Were they trading for a closer or were they trading for a setup guy that throws 100, 101 miles an hour? Yeah. I, I don't know, Joe, I guess, uh, you know, you've got hand Brad hand is an experienced guy. He did struggle a little bit toward the end of the year, but still, you know, saved over 30 plus saves. Um, uh, he's under contract. It's, you know, 7 million, I think this year, and he's got a club option. Uh, I, sh- I should say 2020 and a club option for 2021. So I don't think he's going anywhere. Maybe, you know, but, uh, I would think if, if you've got class a, maybe Karen check is ready. You know, you can put those two guys in front of, uh, a hand and, and get the ball to him and, and maybe you alternate because, you know, really, I think one of the reasons Hand kind of ran out of gas last year is he was the only closer. So maybe you could, you know, put you could manipulate it a little bit and and uh, you know go with Class A, go with Karen Check. I know they're both very young for that role, but hey, you throw ninety nine. It's ninety nine is the same in the eighth inning as it is in the uh, in, <laughs> in the ninth inning. Well, and and Hand has that flexibility. He he had that streak of like two or three seasons where he, he had had like 30 holds and 30 saves or something, yeah. something, something like that where, where he, he had been in both roles in his career. So I don't think you're asking too much of him to, to bounce back and forth between those roles. If you put him in the eighth inning, or if you put him in the ninth inning, um, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a great point. Uh, and, and he, his personality, I don't think he'd get bent out of shape about that. You know, he did it with uh, he did it with Cody Allen, uh, Cody Allen and, and Andrew Miller. You know, he was he was he was more than willing to, you know, pitch wherever Francona wanted him. So maybe this gives Francona a little more versatility and, and will give 
take take a little bit of the heat off hand and you can bring him in in the eighth and then maybe go with, uh, you know, Class A or Karen Check or, or whoever, you know, maybe for the last two outs in the ninth, something like that. Yeah, Class A really sort of intrigues me in that, you know, I I just sort of picture him on the the, the, the sort of pie in the sky thing of maybe like the right-handed Aroldis Chapman or something like that, you know, big guy, same kind of, uh, you know, big frame and build and comes in there throwing hundred miles an hour. And, you know, maybe he can, maybe he can be effective in, in, in closing out games like that. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, just watching my video, it's amazing. I mean, mm-hmm just how hard and how consistently hard he throws, you know, and it's basically pretty much one pitch, right? I mean, I mean, he's got a cutter and a fastball, maybe cutter, cutter slider. Um, yeah, that's, that's really all what he throws. So So. that's exciting. So, uh, you know, uh, it's going to be, it'll, it'll be fun to watch him pitch and, uh, just to see where they, and the big thing is he's got some big league experience, not a lot of what 21 games, something like that with Texas. Mm-hmm. So he's, you know, he's not going to, you're not going to have to, you know, go through that process again. Yeah. In listening to Antonetti talk to talk about him, uh, sort of like a unicorn, uh, that, that 21, 22 year old, uh, major league ready and just lights out electric stuff. Uh, that, that's sort of, you know, what the, these general managers look for these pieces in those trades are, are guys who are just on the cusp of having that breakout year. And, and that's sort of what I guess the Indians are banking on with class a now to shields. It's sort of another, uh, it's sort of another animal They're They're sort of looking for him to, to sort of be reborn, I guess, uh, give him, give him a fresh start here in Cleveland. Yeah. You know, I know in talking to TR, he really liked him, <clears throat> liked his speed. You know, he's a guy that maybe a little bit like Greg Allen, you know, he can run mm-hmm. really a good defender, but you, you really haven't seen him get a, a, a chance, you know, just what, what could he do with, you know, 400 at bats? You know, that's that's the big question. And and right now the Indians have nine outfielders on the 40 man roster. And I, I just wonder how that breaks down, you know, and, and what kind of chance is everyone going to get? Uh, we talked to a Chris Antonetti the day of the trade. Um, I think maybe you asked him about uh, um, Mercado, Oscar Mercado. You know, what does this mean for, to Mercado? And he said Mercado's still going to get every day at bats. It just might be in left, center, or right field. Oh, and we uh, saw what happens when you put Mercado in left field. And yeah, that was a little dangerous, especially against the Mets. Just don't play him in left field against the Mets. That's City Field, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. But, but uh, so I think it's, you know, the outfield, who knows? You know, we're talking to Tito the other day. Um, you know, he he had. You know, he's. It sounded like they're still going to make some more moves in the outfield. That it, they really hadn't settled this thing yet. So, you know, who knows if uh, DeShields is even here? I'm not saying I. You know, I, I know nothing about that, but uh, I think you know, with nine guys, I mean, somebody they can't all play, and they yeah, can't somebody's all be on the 25 man roster. Yeah, somebody's got to go at some point. That that's, and you bring up uh, an interesting uh, name in Greg Allen. Uh, you know, Greg Allen and Delano Shields sort of sort of profile along the same same path. There, I, I think uh, maybe Shields has a little more pop in his bat, uh, but and, and Allen's a switch hitter. But I I can't see how you go 
into a season with both of those guys on a roster. That 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 wouldn't make any sense to me. Yeah, yeah, and I, I'm uh, I'm looking to see if uh, Allen has a, has an option left. I believe he's got one left. Yeah, I think you're right. It's on the latest uh, on the latest roster sheet. But, yeah, he's uh, got he's got a he's got an option left, so yeah. they wouldn't lose him. But you know, it's, I would yeah. think. Uh, Allen so does the Shields also has an option left? So yeah, That's, so that yeah, that'll be interesting. And the Shields is eligible for arbitration, right? Yeah, he's so. projected at about two point four million, uh, which is interesting that they would add salary. Like yeah, I think that- you know, they, I think they were looking at this deal, Joe. Overall. I think it's basically a pretty much a salary dump. I mean, right. they were they were smart about it. Uh, you know, they picked up Corey's uh, option, $17.5 million option, right after the World Series. I think with the knowledge that, hey, we, we there's a there's a pretty good chance we're going to be able to trade this guy. And, uh, and, and in trade, and instead of just not, you know, just cutting him loose at the end of the World Series, you know, and walking away from $17.5 million, they turned it into a couple players. Maybe maybe they got a, a good bullpen, you know, good bullpen arm in Class A, and you know who knows? The Shields has experience; he could still help them in the outfield. I mean, if Class A comes out and pitches in uh, forty-five to fifty games, and maybe gets a couple of saves, and 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 doesn't just totally fall apart at the big league level, I think that, it, it, like you said, it's a win. You get something for rather than nothing by by not picking up Kluber's option and you're only out what $500,000. Yeah. And I think, you know, I re, you know, when, when I think about class A, I've, you know, and I haven't seen him pitch in person, I kind of, I, I think about Julian Tavares, you know, how, how hard Julian threw and how for that 95 team, what a big piece he was uh, when pitching out of the bullpen in a setup role. I thought, you know, he was great. And, uh, Maybe he can, you know, maybe he's, you know, maybe they're thinking along the same lines, you know, or a guy that, you know, can link, link, uh, you know, the, the, the front end to the back end and, uh, and whoever you have as a closer. Right. Well, and you talk about the Indians bullpen now and, and TR made a good point about the, the average fastball velocity for the team last year uh, for the bullpen was 90.8 miles an hour. Uh, and I think I, <laughs> From all accounts, I think Class A can throw that left-handed. Uh, I mean, that's uh, he definitely changes the the profile of the bullpen now. And if you go with if Karinchak makes the team out of spring training, and you've got Class A and Karinchak, you know, hand can hand can get it up there, uh, you know, pretty decently. He he was he had added a few miles per hour last year to his velocity, but. Uh, you know, you, you add in Jeffrey Rodriguez possibly as a as a guy who's who's got a role in this bullpen. Uh, you've got three, four guys now who can who can get the ball up there, uh, you know, 95 miles an hour plus, and that's a lot different than the way that this bullpen profiled, uh, you know, early in the season last year. Yeah, and you know, but Joe, we can't overlook the fact that was a damn good bullpen. <laughs> yeah, they had they had the second lowest the second best DRA in the big leagues. They were, you know, I think uh, they didn't strike anybody out, but they didn't walk anybody. Uh, they were great with the inherited runners, you know, um, you know, in, limiting in, uh, inherited runners to score. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's it's nice to add some velocity to that, but you've got to, you know, 
they can't be walking the ballpark either. They've got to hopefully, uh, and the, that's the thing uh, that's been impressive about Class A. He's he's got some control. He doesn't he doesn't walk. You know, for a guy that throws that hard, he knows where he's going. All right. Uh, you know, it, it's too early to get into who the Indians are going to invite to spring training and, you know, see who the, the possibilities, you know, there was a whole slate of, of guys on minor league, uh, you know, invites with, with, you know, invites to spring training. Uh, Tyler Clippard was one of those guys who, who came out last year. And I, I really think he was sort of a linchpin for, for that whole bullpen last year. He pitched in so many different roles, and he was so effective when he did pitch. Uh, what do you think the chances are that they could entice Tyler Clipper to come back this year? Yeah, you know, I, I would think they're pretty good, you know, and just for those reasons that you stated, Joe. I mean, Francona loves him. You know, <laughs> he's a veteran guy. He's, uh, you know, he's, he, he was an opener for him. You know, mm-hmm. he's kind of a setup guy. He pitched late for him. Uh, and the year before, uh, he he made 75 appearances for Toronto, and he and the only thing he could get was a minor league invite to the Indians. So he's kind of in the same soup. I mean, uh, as, as he was two years ago. So it wouldn't surprise me if if they were able to reach some kind of deal that could bring him back. And let's say he's, you know, that they, they automatically add him to uh, the 40 man, and then to tw- you know sometime in spring training. You know, they they've done right. that before, guy with guys like. Rich Hill and somebody, you kind of give them a minor league deal and kind of nudge, nudge, you're going to be on the club no matter what, you know, and and that kind of deal. Right. But, yeah. You know, I, I, you know, I certainly think, you know, they could use, you know, a kind of a veteran guy there, especially after, you know, they've lost what they've lost Nick Goody. They've lost Olson. They've lost Otero. Uh, right, right now, right now, your bullpen consists of Oliver Perez and Brad Hand. So, uh, you know, I, you really got to start looking at, at who's going to fill things out to, to get you to uh, Class A. And, you know, if Jeffrey Rodriguez is healthy and, and able to, you know, repeat what he did last year. And in uh, spring training, they usually, what, they usually invite 20 to 25 guys, 22 yeah. guys on minor league deals just to uh, fill out the roster and have enough guys for, uh, you know, the, the exhibition season. Right. All right. Well, uh, you know, it's the – the, the Yankees here are going to be introducing uh, Garrett Cole, the uh, the three hundred dollar or three hundred million dollar man uh, that they signed in the offseason. Uh, other teams have, have, you know, Madison Bumgarner was just introduced in in Arizona. Uh, what do you think the chances are in the next couple of weeks the Indians have any sort of free agent uh, signing? Uh, you know, with this seventeen million dollars that they're saving in in Corey Kluber. Uh, Antonetti said that it's going to be reinvested in the team. So, you know, where does that leave them? Well, we, we know they need, they still need an infielder. Uh, and, uh, it sounds like, uh, you know, they've kind of in the, in the, in the perfect world, they'd like, uh, Jose to stay at third. So they, they, they've got to find a second baseman. You know, they've been connected with a bunch of guys, you know, Cesar, Hern- uh, Cesar Hernandez, and there's so many, you know, second basemen out there. I think they'll be able to, I think that's one addition they'll have to make, and you know who knows? Maybe they get some help in the in the bullpen too. Maybe they add add a guy there. So uh, you know, I I think that money. Uh, I don't think they'll spend all of it, but I think some of that money is going going toward the second baseman. All right. All right, Paul. Uh, you know, 
what are we looking at for the next week here coming up? We're getting into the holidays. Uh, I, I know a few years back we had a, a Christmas surprise with Edwin Encarnacion. I think that was uh, that happened around Christmas time. Uh, so what, what can Tribe fans sort of hope for or look for in the next couple of weeks? Well, you know, the, the whole uh, Francisco Lindor thing kind of looms over this whole offseason, and it's going to loom over uh, – you know, it's going to loom over the, the regular season until, you know, they, you know, either uh, they trade Francisco or, you know, they just come out and say, you know, you know, he's with us for the rest of the year. And I doubt they'll say that. I, you know, I think they'll, they'll wait till facts determine what happens with him. But I think that's, that's going to, you know, that's not going away. You know, that, that's the big thing to me. And, uh, you know, that's, you know, kind of leaves you on the edge a little bit. What, what is his team? You know, we know what he can do offensively. We know what he can do, what he means to this team and franchise. And, uh, and if you do trade him, what, what's coming back? You know, what, what does this team look like? What does that mean? Does it trigger a rebuild? Does it, does it mean that you're going to get enough people back for Lindor where you can still, Try to do the Indians thing, you know, win, continue this seven-season winning streak, uh, stay competitive, try to win the AL Central while you know refreshing the roster with younger guys, or do you start when Lindor goes? Does is Santana gone the next? You know, it does the does a veteran uh, uh, fire sale take place? Right. Yeah, it, it really is going to I think the, the first couple of months there are really going to determine, you know, the, the course for the Indians just by what their record is, how competitive they are early on. If, if things don't go well, I think uh, the especially with the all star game being in in uh, Los Angeles this year, I think right around that time it's going to heat up and and the it's just going to be all the talk is going to be. Lindor to L.A., Lindor to L.A., and, and you won't be able to, to, to avoid it. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, that's, uh, you know, when those are, that's the thing you got to live with. I mean, we, we went through it with Brantley, but Brantley, you know, wasn't as high-profile player as, as Lindor. Lindor, you know, he, he's the he's face, like of, the the face league. of the franchise, you know. Yeah. And so you just, you know people like him. You know he's. He's in for a big contract, and uh, you know he's talented, and you know the Indians have to pick the right time, and you know you're not going to be able to keep him. So right. the Indians have to pick the right time to, uh, you know, to make the deal that brings them the best return. Yeah, well, you also know that you're never going to get equal value for what he what he is. You're never going to get enough for Francisco Lindor. He, he's just that kind of player. So uh, it's, it's how much, how much of a, you know, diminished return are you going to be able to stomach and still sell your team to your, your fan base, which, which, which is already it, most Indians fans have already started to check out on this. So, I mean, it's it, the ones who are holding on to any sort of hope that Francisco Lindor will be here beyond the trading deadline this year are, are just kidding themselves right now. So uh oh what a downer way to end a podcast <laughs> holy jeez all right folks just stop listening for the rest of the off season that's it we're done uh no uh we'll, we'll be back uh I, I think we might take a break uh, uh next week uh with with the holiday coming up 
Uh, we'll probably not be, uh, be be sending you a podcast, but we will. That that will probably mean that this is the last one of uh, of 2019, the last podcast of 2019. Paul, hell, hell of a year. <laughs> it, is, it was a good year, you know. Yeah. It really was. I mean, they, they won 93 games. games. They just missed the postseason. You know, it, it was a good year. It was. Uh, they, you know, they made that great comeback. Uh, you know, in what were they in June, July? They were 13 out. They came back and they made really- a run of it. They were really fun to cover for a couple of months there. Yeah, that was a, what, 41 and 17, some kind of run like that. that like that. And uh, it's, now, now, hopefully, Tito's house doesn't get broken into again. Maybe that's... I mean, geez, we've got, we've got burglaries in, in, in Tucson. We've got ballparks burning down in Arlington. This is it's the apocalypse. Um, you know what? There's a new episode of The Mandalorian, and I'm going to tune in and watch Baby Yoda, and everything will be okay. Oh, all right. So we're going to go Merry to that. Christmas. <laughs> all right, Paul. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you in the new year on the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. All right, Joe. Thanks, man.